Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. Hello and welcome to today's Beyond Markets episode. My name is Perlin Wong. I head the investment content and campaigns APAC team here at Julius Baer. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And I'm pleased to be joined by Sue Woodall, who is a breast cancer survivor and founder of Live Work Cancer. In the next 20 minutes, I will be talking to Sue about her experience with breast cancer and her recovery journey. I will also be talking to her about returning to work as a survivor, the emotions and challenges that that brings, and how organizations can help to ease the transition back into the workplace. Hi, Sue. Welcome to Beyond Markets. Hi, Perlin, and thank you for the warm introduction. Great. So let's start, Sue, by perhaps telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I have called Sydney my home for over four decades, except for a very memorable stint in Singapore from 2013 to 2017. And those years were very magical for us. We miss Singapore so much and we miss our Singaporean friends. And then upon returning to Sydney, I ran my consulting business before taking up what was a remarkable role as the Chief Procurement Officer for the New South Wales Government. And it was in that capacity that I led a team of over 100 people. And as I reflect on that job, it really was a pinnacle moment in my career. However, It was just 20 months into that role when I received my diagnosis of estrogen receptor and HER2-positive breast cancer. Sue, there must have been a blow to you with your career at its prime. And we will discuss a little more later in this episode about how cancer diagnosis can affect one both personally but also at the workplace. Like many countries, breast cancer is the most commonly occurring cancer amongst women in Singapore. Each year, over 2,000 women are diagnosed with breast cancer, and 1 in 13 women will get breast cancer in their lifetimes. How does this compare with Australia? Lots of similarities, Perlin. According to Breast Cancer Network Australia, which is our peak breast cancer body here, there are some key statistics that I thought your audience might be interested to understand. In Australia, every year, Over 20,640 people are diagnosed with breast cancer, and this also includes around 200 men. So that's approximately 57 people every day receiving a diagnosis of breast cancer. And one in seven women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime, a rate that's notably higher than Singapore. It's important for us and for our workplaces to also understand that 40% of those diagnosed here in Australia will be of working age. So that's a large cohort. Fortunately, survival rates have improved a lot over the last few decades, and our current survival rate is approximately 92%. They will survive for at least five years after their diagnosis. I guess the last point I wanted to share with you is that it's important to highlight 
that approximately 10,000 women in Australia are living with what we call metastatic or advanced breast cancer. While this is treatable, it's not curable. So while the awareness of this condition is slowly growing here, more needs to be done in terms of awareness and support for this cohort of predominantly women. Would you mind sharing, Sue, with our listeners about some of your breast cancer experience? Sure, Perlin. It's a really good question because I believe sharing our experiences can inspire others to open up about their journeys and enable people to learn how to provide better support. Firstly, it's important to know that there are several different subtypes of breast cancer and each of these require a different treatment plan. And in broad terms, there are three different types of breast cancer. Firstly, there's a hormone receptor positive breast cancer, and that could be positive to estrogen or positive to progesterone. There's also a type of breast cancer that is called HER2 positive, and HER2 is a protein that stimulates the growth of breast cancer. The last one is called triple negative, and that means it's negative to both estrogen and progesterone and also HER2. Here in Australia, the most common subtype is estrogen receptive positive. My breast cancer, interestingly, was a combination of both estrogen receptor positive and HER2 positive, and this accounts for approximately 20% of all breast cancers. So because of that combination, my treatment was very extensive. I started with a lumpectomy to conserve my breast. I had five months of chemo and that was followed by three weeks of radiotherapy. After that, there was two years of targeted therapies, and that was primarily to address the HER2 aspect of my breast cancer. Unfortunately, I'm still on a drug. This drug is called an estrogen blocker, and I'll be on that for the next five to seven years. And essentially, that puts me back into menopause a second time. Fortunately, my cancer had not spread beyond my breasts. So the actual diagnosis is what they call early breast cancer. So how did you manage during this very extensive treatment that you just shared with us? It was much longer than I had anticipated. Initially, my approach was, it's just a process, something akin with how I might tackle a project at work, define what I needed to do, understand that, follow instructions, follow the advice that was being given to me and ensure that I provided feedback on how I was feeling during the course of that process. However, this mindset certainly did not work. It did not work for very long. And once I started chemotherapy, my focus shifted to simply getting through each and every day. So that daily routine can consisted of trying to eat a little because I had a suppressed appetite, taking all my medications, resting, sleeping, just being gentle. And chemotherapy had a very profound and long-lasting impact on my physical and mental condition. I lost my hair. I experienced peripheral neuropathy, which is nerve damage to the hands and to the feet. I had cognitive impairments affecting my memory and my thinking, and I had extreme fatigue amongst a number of other symptoms. While I managed the radiotherapy relatively well, 
The cumulative side effects of both these treatments lingered on for many years, two and a half years in fact. But even today, three years on, I'm still fatigued and I don't feel as sharp as I was in 2020. And what happened at work, given what you have described as an extensive treatment with significant side effects? How did it affect your relationship with work and what happened at a workplace? Despite my really supportive team, and I had an exceptional manager as well, after about 18 months on unpaid leave, and despite putting together a very thorough return to work plan, it became pretty clear that I couldn't resume my previous role. So much time had passed, and both my workplace and I had changed. I was really unprepared for the side effects of my treatment. And what was very interesting, a year or so after my big treatment finished, my manager shared with me that he also had no idea how long and challenging my journey would be. When my employment contract ended, I felt really angry. It was probably the first time in my journey that I felt angry, but I had lost control over my health and my life and now my career, which meant that what was I going to do? As I emerged from the chemo fog or brain fog, as it's often called, and without a job to return to, I pondered on two questions. The first question was, was my experience unique as a woman and executive leader nearing 60? And the second question was, if the roles were reversed and I was a manager and somebody came into my office to say that they had cancer, how could I have supported that person in a better way? Well, since I am in a much better place, I have now read over a hundred research papers. And I know that my experience was not unique. And I guess to some extent, a little disappointedly, I feel that as a former line manager, I realized that I would not have had the knowledge or the resources to have effectively supported the person who came into my office and said that they had cancer. And this realization inspired me to set up Live Work Cancer. Thank you for sharing about your journey with cancer at work. And now I think we want to talk a little bit more about what you have mentioned, which is live work cancer. And if you could now share with our listeners what you're doing now in this new capacity and this new initiative that you've taken up. I'm currently in really good health and I've gained valuable insights into the challenges faced by people working during and after cancer. And with that knowledge, I founded Live Work Cancer and I set it up to do a few things. Firstly, to raise the awareness in our communities of the difficulties individuals encounter while balancing work and cancer. And secondly, to work with organisations to help them create a cancer-kind, more compassionate workplace, educating employers on how to provide effective support to their employees that might be dealing with a diagnosis of cancer. Most importantly, I offer free support directly to those navigating cancer, work and their careers. I provide one-to-one coaching 
and facilitate network groups that create a supportive and informative environment. And I guess I could say that Live Work Cancer has enabled me to give back to the community. Well, first of all, Sue, I'm really glad to hear that you're now in good health. And Live Work Cancer sounds to me like a really inspiring journey and initiative that you've taken up. Thank you for that, for giving back to the community. You mentioned a cancer-kind workplace. What does that mean, actually? I define a cancer-kind workplace where the environment helps to destigmatize cancer by encouraging people to speak up about their diagnosis and the needs, the specific needs that they have because they're balancing work and cancer. And a cancer-kind workplace is compassionate. It's an organisation where managers take responsibility to provide reasonable and tailored adjustments that align with the needs of the person. I guess a cancer-kind workplace needs to provide practical support and this support needs to remain in place until the person is fully recovered. Now, in some cases, that might be one or two months. I guess in my case, it was at least 18 months and sometimes it can even be a few years. What would your suggestions be for how organisations can start to be more cancer-kind? I think the first thing that organisations can do is to provide flexible schedules. And what I mean by this is consider adjusting work schedules to accommodate the side effects of the treatment, the appointments that people have to attend, and also just going through the treatment. This flexibility will ease the burden of the person that's going through the cancer experience. I think secondly, a cancer-kind organisation would provide adjustments to the job tasks and responsibilities so that those tasks align with the current capability of that person. And this may involve temporarily reassigning certain duties to somebody else. Another aspect of a cancer-kind workplace is to provide additional resources or at least to offer additional resources and support. The person might need some additional training because they've been out of the workforce for a little while. They may need some assistance, some tools to help the person manage their workload more efficiently. Another area is around modifying the interactions that happen inside a workplace. And what I mean here is that we need to adapt the nature of the interactions required to perform the job. For instance, I couldn't have been able to attend multiple meetings. I would have found that way too taxing. And I certainly wouldn't have been able to have meetings with clients. So if we can change that sort of interaction, that would help the person that's managing cancer and work. Another aspect that I find is really important is the managers, if they can provide flexible performance expectations. When we leave to start our treatment, we're working at a certain level of performance. But we need the understanding that we're not going to be able to operate at that level, that pace, and at that productivity level while we're doing our cancer treatment and recovering. So ensuring that the performance evaluation of us as somebody going through cancer needs to consider these personal circumstances. It's really important to encourage open and honest communication 
and avoid making assumptions about what the employee is going through or what they need. And finally, we need to recognize that the recovery process from our cancer and our cancer treatment is not linear. There will be many ups and downs. Some days we'll perform really well, other days we will not be able to. And this is a natural part of the cancer journey. Thank you, Sue. Those are really useful suggestions um, and guideposts for organizations as well as managers. How do you think cultural and societal nuances can influence the experience of returning to work for breast cancer survivors? For example, an Asian versus non-Asian cultural approach or nuances around breast cancer and other societal nuances as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. We both live in very multicultural societies and Australia has a very large cohort of people uh, from Asian backgrounds. And we also know that breast cancer is predominantly a woman's disease. And so there's some nuances around the fact that breast cancer affects a key part of our body. In many parts of Asia, as well as some of the Asian communities in places like Australia, there are taboos around our bodies. And breast cancer can deeply impact a woman's sense of self as it impacts a part of our body that we don't often talk about. So I guess as a result of some of these cultural and social factors, they can impact women's participation in recommended breast screening programs. Some of these cultural settings also discourage women from conducting regular breast self-examination. And this is a really critical step in early detection of breast cancer. It also can hinder the effectiveness of breast cancer awareness programs because we just don't want to talk about it. And it does create barriers to discussing this topic with families, even among friends, and certainly in the work context. So some of the social and cultural settings prevent individuals from even asking for family and friends and workplaces to provide support. And that's a real challenge and more awareness about and more support for women in particular to be able to be free and comfortable talking about our breast cancer and our needs is so important. What tips do you have, Sue, for managers who may have members of the team who have been diagnosed with breast cancer or any type of cancer? I've got five tips, Perlin, for managers. There's many more, but the top five, I would say, firstly, to promote cancer awareness in their workplace. Start by making sure that your team is aware of cancer-related issues in the workplace. So just opening up the conversation. Secondly, review the policies. Make sure that the policies in your workplace address cancer-related concerns and the accommodations that are available or the reasonable adjustments that are available to somebody with cancer. Thirdly, create a support system, a system that makes reasonable adjustments readily available for any individual dealing with cancer. Fourthly, train your managers on how to provide effective support for the person navigating cancer and work. Simple things like what to say, how to say it, what things really are not helpful to describe the situation, and give confidence to managers to enter into an open dialogue 
with a person that's experiencing cancer. And last but not least, inform your employees about the available resources and assistance so that information is there, they know about it, and they're more likely to say, this has happened to me, can I have some assistance in line with what's available in the organisation? Sue, do you have any advice for those who are diagnosed with cancer whilst working? That's a really great question, Perlin. And I also have some tips for people at work that are managing a cancer diagnosis. The first one is communicate, communicate, communicate. Keep your manager, the HR team, people and culture teams regularly updated about your health and well-being. If they understand your situation, I am sure they will provide excellent support for you. But if they don't know, they can't provide any support. Having said that, I know that cancer, particularly in settings within some cultural nuances, starting a conversation with your employer, your manager, about a personal health issue like breast cancer can be very, very challenging. So perhaps one way of getting through that is to take somebody with you and they can help you to articulate your personal situation, and provide also emotional support during that conversation that you're having with your workplace. That person can also take some notes for you so that you've got a record of what's said and what you're describing to them. And they can also ask some important follow-up questions that you might not be able to think of because you're in such an emotional state in disclosing your diagnosis. The other tip is to encourage awareness about cancer. And what I mean here is that I found it very both annoying and frustrating to be asked so many questions by so many people about breast cancer, why I was having this treatment, etc. So I would do that differently now. I would encourage the person that asked those questions to find out for themselves about what my diagnosis is and what the treatment might look like so that you don't feel burdensome about trying to address all of their questions. Because when you have breast cancer or in fact any cancer and going through treatment, your primary focus is on your health and your well-being. The other tip for employees is to set really realistic expectations of yourself. As you prepare to return to work, be really honest and realistic about your capacities and capability. It's unlikely that even if you don't have chemotherapy, that you're going to be firing at the same pace and with the same vigor that you had before your diagnosis. So the advice is don't set expectations based on your very best day, the day that you feel fantastic as you're going through treatment. Start gradually and build up from there. And last but not least, request reasonable adjustments. Don't hesitate to ask for the changes that you need to enable you to work well within your capabilities and capacities. This will help prevent you going back to work and quickly burning out or creating a situation that you're finding too stressful for your health and for your well-being. Because what we really want when you're returning to work is we want you to be working healthier in your work. Thank you, Sue. 
Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners before we conclude the podcast session today? I'd like to finish by sharing that although my cancer journey disrupted my career in 2020 and my life, I am pleased to share with your audience that I've experienced post-traumatic growth. It didn't feel this way during my chemotherapy or even 12 months ago, but today I found my new normal. I'm happy and I'm very comfortable with this. It's not what I used to feel. It's not the same competencies that I used to have, but I'm comfortable with the place I'm in. And Perlin, I did want to thank you so much for inviting me to share my story with your Beyond Markets audience. Thanks to the entire Julius Baer team for raising awareness of breast cancer in our communities. And Sue, I also want to thank you, behalf of Julius Baer and our listeners, for shedding light on the complexities of returning to a professional setting after surviving breast cancer and for your personal, valuable insights for survivors, employers and colleagues. It was truly a pleasure for me to have this conversation today with you. At Julius Baer, we do strive to be a cancer-kind workplace, and we aim to foster an inclusive environment built on one of our core values, which is care, where we embrace the individuality and belonging of our staff in their life journeys. Apart from medical and insurance coverage for our staff, Women at JB, which is an employee resource group, has also sponsored 200 spots for the Pink Walk, organized by the Breast Cancer Foundation on 29th of October in Singapore to raise awareness on the topic. Perlin, thank you again. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. And thanks to the entire Julius Bear team for sponsoring 200 people to join the Pink Walk. I wish I could be there to join you. That's all the time we have for today. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. And on behalf of all of us at Julius Bear, thank you for tuning in and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer. If you like what you've heard, please tell us by leaving a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe to Beyond Markets on your favorite podcast player to stay up to date with our latest episodes. To learn more about Julius Baer, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbaer.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com slash legal slash podcast for further important legal information.